Amen. Uh, grab your Bibles and let's open them together this morning. We continue in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and we're going to move all the way ahead to Isaiah chapter 40 as we continue in our Christmas series entitled, Emmanuel, God with us, the promises that began in Isaiah 7, we saw last week in Isaiah 9, and now we move forward into Isaiah chapter 40, and I'll be reading in just a few moments to us from verses 1 through 11 of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, as you are turning there, I want to read to you, uh, to begin, an excerpt of a letter, and this is a letter that was written by a Nazi German soldier who was fighting at the time in Stalingrad, Russia in 1943, January of 1943. Uh, if you know your history at all, or if you don't, I'll tell you, this is just a few days before the Germans would be forced to retreat out of Russia after what proved to be an incredibly bloody and failed attempt to invade Russia in wintertime, which is why nobody should ever try and invade Russia in wintertime. Um, these are the words of his letter, uh, and it actually it hits at an important moment in the history of World War II and really of the world, because the defeat of the Germans at Stalingrad would prove to be, uh, in many ways, the turning point of the war, and it, was, it signaled the beginning of the end of what I'll call the false hope and the false promises, certainly, uh, of Nazi Germany. So this soldier writes this. He says, the Fuhrer, that's Hitler, the Fuhrer made a firm promise to bail us out of here. They read it to us, and we believed in it firmly. Even now, I still believe it because I have to believe in something. If it is not true, what else could I believe in? I would no longer need spring, summer, or anything that gives pleasure. So leave me my faith, dear Greta. All my life, at least eight years of it, I believed in the Fuhrer and in his word. It is terrible how they doubt here and shameful to listen to what they say without being able to reply because they have the facts on their side. That is, the people who are coming to realize that the promises of Hitler were not going to pan out. They had the truth on their side. But he is asking these deep questions of what do I put my faith and my hope in? And for you and I, we have a similar experience. What do you do when you realize that the things that this world promised would make you happy and would bring success, we come to find that their promises are empty, that they were in fact a total sham like this man experienced that day? Or what do you do when the fun of your sin is suddenly beginning to run out and you're beginning to experience the consequences, the inevitable consequences of those actions or those bad decisions? Or what do you do when the pain of living in a broken world becomes more than you can bear on your own? What do you do? The question that that man had is the question that we have today, and it is the very question that Isaiah, through the voice of the prophet Isaiah, but truly the words of God, he gives us an answer this morning to these deep and very real questions. Let's hear from Isaiah now, chapter 40. The Bible says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. 
and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's take a moment and go to this promised heavenly father and king. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this word is your word and that it is the promise that you yourself have fulfilled. And so, Father, I pray that you might fill us with hope this morning afresh as we go to you in your word. Lord, open our eyes to see more of your glorious light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Three ways this morning from this passage that God promises his people comfort in a broken world world, and oh, how we need it yet afresh today. Number one is this. I want you to see the context. The context of God's comfort is in the middle of our failures. The context of God's comfort comes in the middle of our failures. I had a very unique and special opportunity this week to visit a young man in Brevard County Jail. Um, He shared with me a little bit of his story of in a similar way, trusting the false promises that in his case, the false promise that that drugs would make his life happy. And he said quite the opposite has been the reality that not only did they not do what they promised to do, but in fact, the only thing that he has experienced or that they have delivered was the jail cell that he sat in presently. And I can imagine much additional hurt and pain. Uh, But even through the foggy glass wall that he and I spoke through, his face clearly lit up when he began to share with me, not I with him, about what Jesus has done and is doing in his life. He told me about the joy that he experienced a few years ago when he came to know Jesus. He said this, he said, nothing has brought me hope like knowing that no matter what I've done, that Jesus says to me, I have already taken care of it. He said, Jesus will never leave me, and now I just want to know him more, and I want to learn more about him from his word. And that was the topic of our conversation, is how we might be a part of him growing and us growing together. But even in his present situation, he has already found other inmates who similarly have met Christ and know Christ, and together they are encouraging one another in God's word together and reminding each other that regardless of the circumstances or their failures, that God is a God of hope, that God is a God who delivers on His promises and who brings joy. Ray Ortland Jr. is the father of Dane Ortland, uh, the author of the book that we have been reading this Christmas Advent season, uh, the Gentle and Lowly book. His dad writes this in his own commentary about Isaiah chapter 
40. He says this, when we see how far we have fallen and how broken the world is, it explains something. It explains why disappointment pervades our experience. As we see more and more of life, we are confronted with disappointment so persistently and so convincingly, hope starts to look just plain stupid. We become disappointed in our ideals, disappointed in romance, disappointed in our careers, disappointed in the people we trust, disappointed in ourselves. When all human hopes have let us down, we might be ready for the only real salvation that exists. See, finding real hope begins with admitting that the things that I have been counting on and have been chasing can't deliver what they have promised. But real hope finds its completion and culmination in the arms of a God who has come to us and said, I am enough. I am more than enough for you. And He comes to us in the context of our failures. He does not wait for us to clean ourselves up, but He meets us where we are at. One chapter earlier from Isaiah 40, if we go back to Isaiah chapter 39, it explains the context for Judah. See, Isaiah predicts in Isaiah chapter 39 that God's people, Judah, would experience in a future moment exile and complete destruction at the hands of the nation of Babylon because God was sending judgment through them for Judah's consistent and persistent rebellion and sin. This prophecy that we get in Isaiah 39 is fulfilled historically about 100 years later in 586 B.C., And in that moment, God's people hit what I can only describe as rock bottom because of the pages of Isaiah that chronicle their constant and perpetual choice to reject God, keep Him at a distance, believe they know better for their own lives, dismiss God's law, and believe that they can do it themselves, that the broken things of this world can satisfy. And it is the same for us. When we reject Jesus as Lord and we make ourselves Lord, we put ourselves in that position, when we turn to sin and assume that it will somehow make us happy or when we we will inevitably find ourselves brokenhearted, destroyed, bitter, disillusioned, all of which Judah in this moment is presently experiencing in advance of us. But now, says Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, but now comfort Comfort to my people, Judah. Comfort to my people, Israel. Real comfort and joy. See, Isaiah begins a new section even in the book of Isaiah, one in which the prophecy of Isaiah will speak not only to the future people of Judah, but to those of us sitting here under God's word even now by the power of the Holy Spirit. God has not revoked His offer of grace through faith, even if we have, even if you have thus far rejected His offer. His grace is still here, and He is still available. The Bible says that in tender words, He is calling you back to His side. He has come. He is God with us, as we heard in Isaiah chapter 7, and He has made Himself accessible to all people. And when you come to Him in saving faith. The Bible says here in the first two verses that our war of sinful rebellion against God is ended. The ugliness of our sin is pardoned, says Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 2, because God the Father has sent one to this world who can save us, 
who can bring peace with God and who can pay the punishment for our sins. The occasion of God's promise of comfort is in the middle of our failures. He has come to us. He has come to you right where you are. But secondly, this passage tells us this, the content, the content of God's comfort is His glory now and forever. The content of God's comforting promises is His glory, and it starts now and it lasts for forever. Looking at verses 3 through 5 again from our text, the Bible says this, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He comes, he offers true salvation, he offers real glory and everybody one day will see it and will no longer be able to deny its reality. One of the oldest Christmas carols that we know of dates all the way back to the 16th century, and the lyrics say this, God rest, ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray, O tidings of comfort and joy. His comfort and joy is in the arrival of His glory for us. When the angels arrived to share the good news with the shepherds that very day, it says that the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men. Isaiah's vision here in chapter 40 of one in the wilderness who will prepare the way of the Lord has been fulfilled. Look at the New Testament in the book of John chapter 1. John, John the Baptist that is, replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Verse 26, John goes on to say, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God promised through Isaiah that he would send himself. And at Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus is the Son of God who has become fully man while continuing to be fully God and brings the promise of salvation available to the whole world. John chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us again about glory when it says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. See, the glory of the Lord is Jesus Himself coming down to us and satisfying like nothing and no one else can in our lives. Our deepest longings, our deepest desires are for the glory that only Jesus can provide. How will God bring comfort? He will come and give you Himself. How will God save His people? He will come and will die for you Himself. How will God rescue his people and take them home forever? He will return one day and take you home 
himself. This week we've been praying, as you just heard, for Linnea Morrison's dad, George, who's been in a real life and death fight with cancer, particularly in the last several days and weeks. He took a big step forward this week, but we need to keep praying for him. This week we also lost a faithful friend, Pastor Kurt Deming, pastor of Melbourne Community Church and history teacher to thousands, it feels like, uh, impacted so many people with the love of Christ in this city And we need to continue to pray for his wife, Gina, and his son, and his wife, and their extended family, and their church family. The reality is that there is very real pain and suffering that we experience in this broken world. We cannot deny that. But, but, because Jesus has come down and offered to us his eternal glory And because both of these men in particular have already accepted the free gift of salvation, we no longer need to fear even death itself. Kurt is with Jesus at this very moment, and I guarantee you he is debating with Jesus the Lord himself the particular details of the battle of Little Round Top. He is having incredible discussions that we can only imagine. And George is trusting the Lord for his faithful glory and promises here on earth with the reality that regardless of what happens, that the glory of eternity with Jesus is not in doubt. It is not in danger because Jesus does not break his promises. He promises us glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it real clear. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, and it is, this life is a light and momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. His gift of glory isn't just a future thing, though, and it is. His gift of glory is a now thing. It is a here and now thing because Jesus has come. Isaiah alludes to this in verses 3 through 5 as well. Isaiah says he's coming to shake things up in your life right here and right now, and that should make us tremble and rejoice, believers, Isaiah says, the one who created every mountain, the one who who was there at the creation of every valley, he is coming and he is going to lift up the valleys in your life and he is going to break down the mountains in your life. So when you become a believer in Jesus and you say, King Jesus, I want you to be king in my life, he enters into what is very much the wilderness and the desert of your life. And all of us have been there in one moment or another. And he will create within you the upheaval of real repentance, the work of the Holy Spirit of sanctification in your life. And so what Isaiah is saying here is he comes to smooth the rough places of sin and rebellion in your life. He comes to break the power of the wounds, the injustices, the pains that you have experienced in this broken world. He heals the valleys of depression that you may walk through. He heals the fear, the anxiousness, the effects of abuse or neglect that you have experienced in your life, and he does it by the love of the Father. He comes to break down the mountains of pride and of arrogance and of self-centeredness that every single one of us inevitably has to face. 
He will lift you up out of the valley. He will break down the mountains of sin and struggle. And if you will ask Him, the content of His comfort will be His glory for you. He comes, He brings glory here, now, and for forever. But third and finally, at the end of this passage, we get the certainty of God's comfort. The certainty of God's comfort, which commissions us to share. The certainty of God's comfort commissions us to share. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me again. The Bible says, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. What's that mean? Well, he tells us, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. You see who we are in the story here, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's promises of comfort and joy, they are not a fairy tale, they are not a figment of our imagination. They are sure and they are certain. He's faithful, in other words, even when we are unfaithful. That is the message of the gospel in a nutshell. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful. We can be filled with deception and lies. We as people are unreliable, but God and His Word are infallible, without error, incapable of having error. We wither, we die, all of us, we fade. We are moved by the circumstances of this life, the blowing of the wind, but God, His promises, His grace, his faithfulness, His justice, His mercy lasts forever and ever, and that is the best news of all time for us. See, being a Christian is not about what we can do for God. Say that again. Being a Christian is not about what we can do for God. Christianity is about what God in His grace has already done for us and will always do for us. It is not based on my ability to keep promises because I cannot and I will not. It is based on His promises that He always comes through on. Christianity is a response. It's a response, a response of faith, of trust that leads to obedience, but it is trust in the God who reigns forever. And because of the surety, the certainty of His promise God invites us into that promise and says, I am co-missioning you. I am asking you to join with me in my mission, the mission that the gospel might be known around the world, that lives would be changed and saved forever. It's my mission, says Jesus, and I am inviting you into it to be commissioned to share this same good news. What you have tasted and seen and experienced, I want others to know it and experience it as well. And so he ends here in verse 9, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The prophet here is saying that those who have experienced the goodness of God can and must tell others about him. We sing another song uh, at Christmas time that goes like this, go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain. What? That Jesus Christ is born. Herein lies the substance of that song. Spread the glory and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you behold 
your God, as you see Him for who He is, His grace and His mercy and glory, let that love propel you to share it with other people. Not the mistaken idea that if I don't do good things for God, He's not going to be interested in me. Or I have to do enough things to earn God's uh, pleasure or, or to prove to Him that I'm worthy of His attention. No, no, no. Let His love for you drive you to share His love with others. I'm very grateful to all those of you who walked uh, through neighborhood and knocked on doors yesterday to invite in some small way people to experience the glory of Jesus. Not us, Jesus. Uh, I'm grateful to all of you who, in a very practical way, bought and wrapped and put together gifts and collections of gifts to go out to families in our public schools so that they would see in some small way, that they would taste and see the glory of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus, and it might draw them into ultimately saving faith. But you may have a very real question as a Christian, what exactly do I tell them if I am commissioned to share the good news of the gospel? What do I say? Verses 10 and 11, in a way that only Isaiah the prophet could say, gives us a sense of what that is. Again, he says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Those are two important words, reward and recompense. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus is strong and powerful. That means you can trust him. Tell people who want to know or who are asking, or maybe they don't want to know, but you can tell people that Jesus is strong. He is a conquering king. But he's a very unique conquering king, isn't he? He is a king who left his throne when he didn't have to, who gave up all of it to come here to be among us. He is a king who set aside his crown to die for us. The king left his comfort to give you his comfort. You can tell them that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That means he was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted with one really important difference. He never sinned, not once. He never will. Instead, Jesus went to the cross. He paid the penalty, the recompense he took on the compensation for sin that we deserved so that you and I could experience the reward of a perfect life, the comfort of eternity with God in heaven, and the greatest trade, the greatest exchange of all time. You can tell people that Jesus is wealthy beyond imagination and generous beyond our ability to comprehend. He offered a reward to us that we did not earn. He offers to take the punishment or the recompense that we did earn, and He makes that exchange available to us entirely by grace. And in this passage reminds us of a reality that is so important and yet so unpopular that you will experience God's eternal grace or His eternal justice, and there is no third way. The promises of Jesus are real. He is a God fully of justice and fully of mercy. There is no third way. You either experience all of His glory and grace and goodness, or at the end of your life, you will lose all of it when you do like Judah did and say, I don't need you. I don't want you. 
Dane Ortland writes this in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that we have been reading together as a church, words of comfort and joy, uh, words that should call us, call our attention. He says this, Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to Him, irrespective of their particular offense and just how heinous it is, meaning there is no sin that you can commit that Jesus cannot forgive, does not desire to forgive. Back to this quote, what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to Him. If we never come to Him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of His mouth at us. If we do come to Him, as fierce as His lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be His lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other, to no one will Jesus be neutral. Jesus is not neutral. Jesus is a tender and humble shepherd, Isaiah 40 ends. He loves His sheep, meaning He loves His people. He will lead you. He will protect you. He will care for you, defend you, draw near to you, comfort you, and invites you to draw near to Him. And as you are filled afresh with the reminder of the certainty of God's goodness and grace. Let it remind you that as believers, we are co-missioned to join Him in sharing that good news. And the reality is, is one of the best ways that we experience a deeper comfort and joy in knowing Jesus is when we share it with others. If you want to experience deeper joy in the Lord, share joy with others. Let others know about this same goodness and grace and glory that you have seen. Let's take a minute and let's pray together to this good and faithful and loving God.